Welcome, fellow traveler. You are now listening to the Tent Theology Podcast. Each week, we have a tent talk where we pursue the renewing of the Christian social and political imagination. So I first met you, Natasha, it must have been 2017, I guess, mm-hmm. when you started training to be an ordinand in the Church of England. And I remember meeting you a couple of times because I was teaching, I was a guest lecturer at a, at, in a class that you were part of. And I soon clocked, I, as a teacher, I have this um, radar. I can tell when somebody's got a good question. Like there's, there's always students who, when they put their hand up, you're like, okay, this is going to be good. And this is worth listening to. So I learned that when Natasha puts her hand up, it's worth listening. So this was my impression of you. So fast forward three years, four years later, and I have been doing a series of teaching, Bible teaching, um, Lamarck. And lo and behold, my former student is now the curate. Natasha Beckles <laughs> is now the curate. She's on the staff of St. Luke's Kentish Town. And out of the blue comes an email one day, which is the equivalent of Natasha holding up her hand saying, I've got a question. <laughs> so the world stops and I listen. And Natasha, you, you asked a really good question. So I think uh, I'm going to get you to read out your question and, and also to maybe just because I want to hear your voice ask it. But the context was we were talking about power, meekness, um, approaches to power, approaches to nonviolent approaches to injustice, things like that. That would have been the context. So yeah. Natasha Beckles, curate of St. Luke's Kentish Town, tell me, what was your what was your question? So it was about the fact that I had been listening in on the conversation with a member of our congregation and Mm. I was a bit perplexed by the implications of the conversation or just maybe it was the language. So I'm reading from it now. Perhaps I'm imagining it, but I thought that powerlessness or the abdication of power was quite different to the definition of meekness or kenosis. For some reason these came across as interchangeable. Is that what you meant to communicate? Practically, both in organizations and in relationships, I find that the abdication, the denial of power, or the apparent unawareness of power is one of the key methods in which injustice, abuse, and evil is perpetuated. This posture gaslights all those who are impacted by those who have the power that is afforded by authority, might, privilege or position. In addition to this, in the patriarchal white supremacist Western culture that we know best, a context which continues to be both exploitative, objectifying and dehumanizing, particularly towards women and black and brown bodies, the acceptance of abuse has considerable pastoral implications for lots of harmed individuals and bequeaths a significant legacy of for systemically oppressed community, communities. Mm. I've been left wondering how far this interpretation is just an extremely convenient perspective that facilitates abdication and passiveness for both privileged white Western culture and for oppressed majorities. I totally accept that we should turn a cheek to an enemy I fully accept that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but our battle definitely is against the principalities, the imaginations, the systems of exploitation. And I am left befuddled as to when, if ever, 
we go into the temple to take a whip to the exploitation yeah, and turn right. over the tables. <laughs> that was my question. Long. <laughs> no, it's good. What is the uh, what is the context that you're coming from? Like, I, I, we want to unpack this, and and for sure. And uh, but what what is the what was some of the the work that you were doing? What's some of the context that you're coming from before you were a curate? Because I think that might be relevant to what we're going to talk about. So I've just spent the last twenty years as a in education. I five yeah. years as a teacher. Um, I always had an interest in um, curriculum and making that as interesting as possible, and also helping young people to participate in education. And I ended up as African and Caribbean Achievement Consultant for Brent um, for five years. I probably shouldn't have said the where it was, but it was good, so it was fine. Anyway, <laughs> we had a great time. Um, and really learned a lot about underperforming groups and some mm -hmm. of the narratives that are around that. Mm -hmm. And then after, you know, also looking at English as an additional language. And I, what I learned was that the, the strategies that you use for the one it really helped the 99. It uplifts everybody, actually, when you have teaching strategies and inclusion strategies that are in that way. So after that, you know, consulting across that local authority, I went um, I got a job as an assistant head in a school serving a, a very um, disadvantaged, famously, infamously um, disadvantaged estate in North London. Mm -hmm. and um, very proud to have worked there in those communities. And I just feel that I didn't have the option to say that I didn't use the power that I had in the position that I had to actually uphold, advocate on behalf of the poor. Yeah. I, you know, and, and, it, and particularly education has gone through, you know, people will have heard of Ofsted or whatever, but it's, it's not okay to say that we're leadership and we don't have the power there's some things that we can't fix absolutely mm -hmm. but that you're in the position of power and you know as christians you're called to that position yeah right be looking for how it is that you're going to help this this community that god has called you to to help so it, i suppose you know i look at that i'm coming at it as a leader mm -hmm. with a long experience of what it costs to actually not just cut into the fat and the flesh, but to the bone mm -hmm. of if you're going to do something about communities that are systemically excluded, it's going to cost you something. And I don't think that should be a surprise to us as Christians. Right. But, and that meant having difficult conversations with local authority people that meant mm -hmm. having you know, telling people what needed to be ha happening and putting your foot down. Mm. And in, in, I suppose, in a metaphorical way, that's mm. fighting. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, really right. battling and contending. Yeah. And, and so we can't, and so I'm, I suppose I'm extrapolating across, particularly after a year that we've had, mm -hmm. where you're seeing, you know, we have an economic imbalance, a global economic imbalance, that the, the pandemic has highlighted that the, the, the poorer you are, the more at risk you are, and mm -hmm. um, the, the darker you are, the more likely you are to be poorer and at risk. Mm -hmm. And that we're living in an environment that there are people who are in positions of power because of historical, some people didn't ask to be in that position, but they are certainly benefiting from that. Mm -hmm. And 
if they're sitting there saying, well, I can't do anything that, you mm-hmm. know, people are, I, people are saying they can't breathe and you're standing there saying, well, I don't know what to do mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. That's quite worrying for the future of what's going right. to happen to us. Right. And, and if the, the church then in its understanding or its interpretation of Jesus mm-hmm. turning the other cheek is, is saying that, what does that say to those communities that are being exploited in particular ways? You're, mm-hmm. you're just supposed to turn the other cheek and allow, hmm. you know, generations of your children to be destroyed in that kind of way right. without holding to account those people who are in position of power. And I'm just yeah. like, I don't see Jesus doing that at all. He did have difficult conversations to my recollection yeah. with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those people that were in positions of power. Yeah. And so on. my concern is that we've jumped to the bit of the loving Jesus because people have this binary understanding of love. Yeah. That it's fluffy and soft. When, you know, you look at Aslan, he's got edge. And, right. you know, they right. actually love working out is sometimes rough it's sometimes yeah. justice it's sometimes all of these things and and I'm just like where are we ending up in why are we ending up in this cul-de-sac that is ultimately going to have Christians like Ned Flanders and I'm like that is mm. not Christian you know this is not who we are we're not this is this cannot be who we are if yeah. we're going to stand up on behalf of those people who are being exploited and so I so I totally agree with you and I, and I and I'm not trying to defend myself at all cuz I actually want to hear I don't it's not about me. I want to mm. hear what did I say that came across as gas you use the word gaslighting which made me like I take that seriously. So what yeah. what what was it what was it that I was accidentally contributing to to that you thought why did your warning flags come up? And, and can you explain a bit more what you mean by gaslighting? So gaslighting is a term, it comes from, I think, a film, actually, mm-hmm. where um, one of the characters is pretending, is, is saying, is the light flickering? And the other right. person is saying, no, it didn't happen. Right. And so it's one of those unsafe aspects of our dialogue in a, in a relationship. It's, it's an unsafe aspect. Right. And, and I'm calling it out from the point of view that when we as Christians forget that you know we've got to look at the the, who Jesus was and 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 it's very difficult for us because we can't undo the last half a millennia and how you know the whole narrative about what it means to be white or black was created in this particular environment Mm -hmm. and so and how that has attached power to Mm -hmm. particular groups of people and so this is not about somebody's bad because they're what this that's that's not it we're talking about a institutional ide- ideology that has been put into laws and powers that creates that imbalance that's there. Mm-hmm. Let me go to what you actually said. I haven't got it verbatim, but we were okay. talking about that um, Jesus is power- powerless. It, and I, I imagine we must have been talking about that scene with Pontius Pilate and Mark, you know, that this powerlessness. Mm-hmm. And I, I sat there and thought, I disagree that Christ was powerless powerless right. powerless is different to power contained yeah right okay and, wow and where, yeah and, that's and, really true i really agree with you by the way <laughs> so it, if i said uh, powerlessness then i take it back if i actually said that i totally take it back because <laughs> yeah. i don't well I don't we can think check because powerless yeah 
And I'm like, Jesus is one person you don't want to sit in a conversation and say that yeah. he's powerless. He he's given up power by yeah. choice. Yeah. So, for, but it's it's why are you giving up that power? You're giving up that power for our benefit. So that I would even say he's not giving up power. He's giving up domination, or he's he's powerful. He shows his power by not dominating the other people in front of him. Well, absolutely, because he manages to walk for thirty years without anybody knowing he's God. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I just, I, that's my favorite line exactly. about it because it's like. So that, that where, where it becomes gaslighting is when somebody like, so I'm a white guy who's born into, I've inherited certain habits and functions of power through no benefit of my own that you as a black woman don't, don't, don't get to avail yourself up, right? So the idea would be that if, if you came to me and said, oh, I'm being oppressed or my people are being oppressed or my youth that I work with and I say, oh, just turn the other cheek, just be meek and mild, just be powerless, that's a form of gaslighting because I am telling you that your problems are not real. Is that is that where that's coming from? Yeah, because it's 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 not taken seriously. Both God, in the sense that that's not how He dealt with that yeah, situation. Right. You will hear people say things like, "Justice is not the the gospel is not justice," or "It's it's not a big enough issue," or "Inclusion is not." And I'm just sitting there thinking, "Well, hang on, most of us are not Jewish." Oh, yeah. So therefore, I, we must be part of the inclusion plan. I totally think the ju- gospel is justice and social justice. I, I know you gospel. think that. Yeah, I know yeah, you yeah, think yeah. that. Yeah. But I also know that what happens is that I have to accept the fact that I, uh, not because it's true, God listens to me. Mm-hmm. But in this world, in this realm, mm-hmm. in this particular generation, mm-hmm. my witness, both as a woman and as a black woman, I'm, I've got more in common with Mary outside of the, um, the, the, you know the tomb yeah. then lots of people and to me yeah. i'm just like what happens is that you get guess gaslighted by other people saying well a theologian said this and because that theologian is white yeah right the power of that role that you have yeah, and gotcha. that and 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 i because i know because i know you i'm like i know that's not what you mean that's what yeah, I, I know i know We're because friends. i'm not, exactly and i was like i'm gonna send an email i just checked this so what would i what what would I share, or other people like me? <laughs> mm. How would we like? How should we be talking about this? Or can you give us some idea how to navigate this? Because the idea is that meekness is not about being powerless, but it's about a certain form of approach to your enemies that isn't about wiping your enemies off the face of the earth. Absolutely. Right? So the idea is that the enemy, the world works in such a way that it has this narrative which says, when you have an enemy, you have to destroy them. And that violence is the only language they'll understand and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when you are being oppressed and you react to your oppressor yeah. with that kind of violence, all you're actually doing is just reinforcing that whole uh, nar- narrative. I, I, yeah. I 100% agree so, with that. So in the New Testament, I feel like that the, what the idea is, is Jesus saying, don't play by the script that's been handed to you, react in a different way, yeah. which itself is a form of, it is powerful way to act, right? Yeah, so yeah, that's what I want to say to people. Now, I'm not, <laughs> I don't look like Mary. I'm not a woman of color. Mm-hmm. I don't look like anybody in the Bible, frankly. And uh, uh, I always feel cautious. I always feel the, the nervousness talking about this stuff. It's very similar to feeling nervous when I, to talk about Dr. King. Because mm-hmm. I, f- I feel like white people have just abused 
Dr. King so much that I feel really embarrassed even talking about him, even though I utterly admire him and think he's an excellent example of what it is I'm trying to talk about. In the hands of white people, he's used as the example of like a... a How you should respond. And and, and I just think that, you know, that's it's, it's quite a powerful way because when I... There's a couple of things I want to say here. First of all, just going back that everybody has power. And so that's the other part of the narrative that, you know, God makes the weak strong. Yeah. And and he has that ability. And I I know I've seen that in my personal walk. So I I, am not about you've got all the power and this person's here. That's not the dynamic that happens. There's the 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 abdication of power is a, a brokenness. Mm. in humankind wherever you are in in the economic scale and i just think that that there is you know it can be about people developing the skills one of the things that i would have to deal with as a senior leader in charge of inclusion and safeguarding is domestic violence and seeing that dynamic that actually the world wants to to make out that one person is the perpetrator and they are Mm-hmm. But an abusive relationship has two people in it that are playing a not playing that's not the right way of putting but are engaged in a, a, a dynamic where yeah. there's abdications that are going on on both sides. And so mm-hmm. if you're going to make the weak strong, and I know in my own journey, when God points out to you, no, it's your responsibility to do this. You're not the strongest person in the situation, mm-hmm. but you can change the world. And I know that I could do that in right. prayer, and I know that I can do that with my silence, with, you know, there's ways that you have, and, and I think that's really important. You mentioned Martin Luther King and, you know, what was happening in the community organizing that was there. People who didn't have very much power found a way to have their voice. Mm-hmm. And that, that, and I think, you know, I'm really interested in those kind of aspects of community organizing because you don't want people to feel or believe a lie that th- you don't have that power. And, and, and that's the other part of the dichotomy. Um, so how does, I mean, when you, cause I know you do a lot of work like mentoring young people, but not, not just on a one-to-one. I mean, you, you work with young people on, on a kind of a, 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 like a systematic scale as well. I mean, you deal with safeguarding and laws and things. How, how does, how do you see that the whole turn the other cheek and meekness, which is something that Jesus people need to do. How do you yeah. see that? playing out or working out when you talk about young people or vulnerable people who are being violently abused and oppressed how do you see turn the other cheek playing out i think you know i've I've just been reflecting on um ruth three i've got to write a preach on it and just that 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 threshing floor that there there is this space where all of us have to go to the redeemer and all of us have vulnerabilities in some sort of way. And it's a very strange chapter where the, you know, people are like revealing feet and, mm, yeah. and <laughs> it's, it's, it's not an easy one. I'm like, I'll chat to whoever chose the sermons about that later. But in terms of, there is something, um, I think I'm really fascinated at the moment, actually, that it's almost like a working model of, what happens at the cross that there is this we share something in the vulnerability of you know this god and king who is being crucified on this cross and we come to that cross with that um vulnerability and god has the power to turn naomi's cry of 
yeah. bitterness into right. physically Ruth walking out yeah. with her shawl full. Yeah, you know, right. you, so Naomi's is, you know, I was sent out full and I've been returned empty. And, for, you know, there's something about that, that chapter, strange as it is, mm-hmm. that, that is revealing in that. And I feel that the most vulnerable people, because of their situation, God tells us we will always have the poor. They are aware. Sometimes it's covered in shame, but they have huge access to humility. Right. And humility opens huge doors in heaven. Yes. And, I, and, and, yes. and I just think right. the ability to walk in cognizant of your vulnerabilities that we've all mm-hmm. learned that everybody's got vulnerabilities here and it's not a case of you're vulnerable and I'm strong that's that's not what it is that's not no. the human experience and the more the better that we are at being more nuanced about um realizing that I, I I've worked with children who have because of the mental health issues going on in their families their ability to read a person is almost prophetic right Right. You know, and so you can't, there's gifts that are given to people that your hand, just like David, your hand is trained to -hmm. deal with situations in a different way. And I know that, you know, I come from Shepherd's Bush, you know, and Halsden and all of these places. These were the places that you were running up and down in. But I also had the experience of being educated in a particular way. And so my hand has been trained in a particular way to see things in one space and to fight things in another. And I think that you know to to blanket people with vulnerability words like poor you you know you don't know what that means because i am i know that i'm wealthier than the lady that owns a two million house down the road because because of these journeys that you've come through but what we live in a society that wants to look like who is it, Naaman, who comes and he's got skin issues and all the rest of it. And he's coming to the king and he's like trying to instruct the king to heal yeah. him. And the king's like, let me rip my clothes because I don't have time for this. Because he knows that your wealth has got nothing to do yeah. with your understanding of the presence of God. It's got nothing to do with your access to, to that. And Well, so- can I pause you there? I think yeah. it does have something to do with it because it's harder for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay. You, you, so if anything, it's that's the opposite. Fair. I'm giving you that 100%. Like <laughs> the wealthy, the people who are drunk on their own self-sufficiency, they have an even harder time accessing. Yeah. 100%. And, 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 but, but what I'm saying is that there's no way that you, you know, people, I've, I can work with people who have their faith in who God is. Yeah. You know, I am. I went to Uganda about ten years ago and was pulled out of a van to go and pray for this woman who was living in her compound, seventy-five-year-old woman who had ten children and seven of them had been killed in the war, and she was raising her grandchildren. And I sat there and thought, why are they calling me to pray for this woman? I should be yeah. asking her to pray for me because she's practically Job. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's yeah. like I'm. Yeah. I, you know, and it's like that they have the courage to still ask this God of heaven and believe in him. These right. people have got wealth that you don't and I don't have. And mm-hmm. it's like, we need to get out of this dynamic that there's a bit of the ego that, and I'm owning it as a person who's been raised in the Western world, that we can, oh, I can give and I can help. I went into probably the school that I was working with a bit with a missionary mindset. 
I'm coming with Jesus and we're going to do there. I was shocked to discover Jesus has long since been in the place. I know. We all have that, don't we? We, we all have that. Like Jesus you're saving place. somebody. I'm coming. And, and Jesus is like, yeah. no, I sent you to learn how much you need. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and so I look at that place and it's like, that was a threshing floor for me. And, and you've got so many people coming in with the, this external wealth and the comfort. And, and that's the other thing that the church doesn't help our wealthiest people because they, they, they're constantly talking about, it's almost like being comfortable is, is, you know, the blessing of the Lord. And it's like, no. that's not what you see in the cross. No, not at all. Yeah. And, and you just think, how are we helping people to realize that by learning to press it, lean into, you don't find suffering. We're not here to be beating ourselves, but there are, be, be proximate to it. and be transformed that's what transforms you in the sense that i know i was transformed by i had my fixed ideas about coming from a fairly settled caribbean heritage very proud there's people in my family that have doctorates and all of these things and you know worked in education and all of this stuff Mm -hmm. to to work with a community that had a completely different experience and and had had that experience What's the difference between my family? My mum came here as a fully fledged adult. There's some people that I worked with. I can see that three or four generations, their grand, the first person was seven and they went through an education system that was deeply racist and abusive to them. And that trauma is continuing down through several generations. And you can see in communities the difference it causes. And, you know, we recently had this racial disparities um, report here in the UK and mm. and that is wanting to trigger a narrative about particular communities mm-hmm. to say you're successful and you're not and it's like you have to know the mm-hmm. history the historical differences that are going on before you yeah. even start to talk there I think there's on. something like the word meek I mean it's, it's, it's like the word submission I mean they're just so abused by history that it's almost impossible to use but mm. if we go into it with the, with a goodwill we realize something like the word the meek people in the sermon on the mount for example it's not so much jesus telling you to be meek it's him saying hey those people who are meek they are blessed mm. so it isn't like a command to be meek it's a recognition of the ugandan grandmother that you mentioned it's like him pointing her he's not saying be a ugandan grandmother he's saying look at her she is the one who's actually got the eye of god on her right now yeah. Or she's there's something of her that's more closer to the heart of creation. Mm, and yeah. I think that it's an affirmation of a meekness rather than a command to be meek. Which people like me, white, powerful people, can often be heard or sometimes do command people to be meek. Mm. And I don't I think it's more of my I think it's more something that it's being I'm being asked to identify with meek people mm. rather than tell meek people to be happy with their lot. Mm. Okay. Right. Yeah, I hear I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I I do hear what you're saying. And that and that's quite helpful in the sense that in this Western world, the way that we are, we're very being your own person leading, you know, being this independent, Mm. you have an impact on stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we're very activists, particularly, you know, certain branches of the church and that ability to have to, to realize how it is this is maybe what you know some of the the difficulties around that conversation particularly in race around how you be an ally yes right. because what what some sometimes happens is that people 
don't know, a, you know, you're, you're, you're taught not to be aware of white supremacy. So it's, it's almost like you're in a comatose state. You're yeah. being held in that position. Yeah. Yeah. When you wake up, people are like, ah! <laughs> and then they want to run into activism. Yes. That actually only replicates the same narrative that you're yeah. the person that's in power and you're the, the white savior. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and there is something, if, if we all could learn something about what meekness means, and I've had to learn that as a black woman who's been probably educated and on some right. level working through a narrative of being white middle class because I went to those kind of schools. Yeah. yeah. Um, although I can see the difference between the two, I've had to learn that the most powerful thing that I can do is pray or that the most powerful thing that I can do is be silent. Yeah, right. Um, and not to be, otherwise I become what we call the magical Negro, which is I run around helping every other white person doing right. all of these things when right. sometimes right. I need to stand and allow my white brother or sister to sit in the discomfort yes of that situation and i'm showing you empathy in that moment yeah because i know that it's difficult i know that it's difficult but there's a growth that's going on and as a teacher i cannot interrupt that that growth yeah that that, that you know by saving you or rescuing you from it but but what happens is that because our churches are teaching people that pain is not part of the cross or <laughs> that suffering is not part of that. When people are in that, they, yeah. they, they've had so little um, self-soothing tolerance for that. They're jumping yeah. out and, it, <laughs> and it's like, I don't want to feel this way. Or you, they're jumping in all sorts of directions, trying to save people or performative yeah. stuff that has got nothing to do actually with the activism, with the, the struggle that's going on. And we just need to be more critically aware about the fact that it is uncomfortable. Join the rest of the humanity mm -hmm. on that. Mm -hmm. It is uncomfortable. And, and we're going to have to sit. And your brain needs a chance. You know, your emotional brain needs a chance to experience it so that your rational brain can come to understand it. Because if you keep jumping out, we just end up being Greek people that are just running out of this... Mm -hmm very intellectual place yeah. and it has it lacks the empathy and and that's the bit about becoming fully human as well that in terms of that's all of our journeys and you mm -hmm. can only do that by developing that empathy and you can only get that empathy you only get that compassion through rejection wow yeah preach it <laughs> i love that so natasha when can we turn over tables then I, because I, I was thinking your even your story of 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 going into a school or a place thinking, well, I've got the answers, and then you realize actually I don't, and and uh, the white savior complex you describe, like we basically we have this messianic uh, temptation, don't we? Right, everybody does, and then we don't look at the Messiah himself as as how he did it, right? So we have a messianic complex that we don't pay attention to how the Messiah was actually a Messiah. Hundred percent. But one of the things that the Messiah did do was turn over the tables. So where does, what does turning over tables in the temple mean to you? How does that work with empathy and, and, uh, and these things we were talking about? I suppose I have to switch into my kind of leadership knowledge okay. that in the sense that leadership is, you have to have the intelligence in not, I don't mean the rational intelligence, the information yeah. about what the actual problem is. And, and maybe people have noticed that, some of the problems we've had with the dealing of the, the pandemic is that 
people haven't had enough on the ground experience right to know how long it takes to clean a building or how long it takes to do a risk assessment for a school mm -hmm. and so you know things have come out in that way and i just mm -hmm. think you need the empathy to give you the qualitative information to build systems and structures because you taught me this that you know principalities are basically the systems and structures yeah. of our organizations and they're yeah. made by humans yeah we make them yeah and we can make different ones they're always going to be flawed but we can make different ones that have an impact that work against those principalities yes. that are harming people and yeah. so we've just got once you've yeah got the empathy to sit alongside someone and listen to their story and step back and let their voice be the voice that needs to be or you know you, I'm not going to give you the fish I'm going to train you how to write the strategy yourself yeah. so I'm not interrupting your learning so I get to be the brilliant person who saved the day again but I'm yeah. helping yeah. that that then we we empower people who do know what the situation is to have the experience as to how to build structures that are going to protect people yeah. more effectively. But when you've got like a top down, well, I'm entitled to power, even though I've got very little competence in this area. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just going to come up with an idea that sounds right. And then from on high, send it down. It has no option, but to be a tokenistic gesture. Yeah because it doesn't have the detail to actually have an impact on the issue. And so you end up with something like, I don't know, universal credit that wants to put the poor on a monthly yeah. income. Yeah. Well, you don't know enough about the poor that the poor can't operate on a monthly income because the need is so much. We're not going to be able to organize. There's not a spare bit of money just to oil things over for four weeks, mm -hmm. you know? And yeah. so you've then brought schools into the situation that you've got people coming up and I haven't got electricity to cook the food you know, it, you know, or the wash the kids' clothes yeah. or whatever, and and every sector is having to then jump in just because somebody in government thought it would be a great idea if they worked on a monthly basis, and it's like, but why? <laughs> so turning the I like this. So turning the tables as a form of well, you're 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 restructuring a principality that's no longer fit for purpose, and to do that you have to know what's going on and who the people are who's actually using it right yeah and jesus yeah. properly knows the issue he doesn't walk in he already knows yeah you yeah. know and so he's turning he didn't turn he's not turning the altar table he's turning yeah, right, right, the, right. you know he knows which ones to turn and it's just yeah. like yeah there's 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 this kind of and and when we're not able to sit with the discomfort of being part of the problem yeah you you then can't you, you you're doing repentance but you're doing the repentance i i've got one of my exercise teachers was like when you're holding the but don't be thinking about how you're getting out of the pose think of stay in it yes and think about what you're learning and what your body is learning yeah. in that particular pose and yeah. when we're in repentance people are just like i just want to get i just want to get out of it and it's like there's something deep that is happening in the moment of repentance that's why we have a whole friday Side and you know ashes and all of this stuff but yeah. we're doing all of these actions but we're not taking it in it's meant to be forming you because we are not we are not a, a kind of just gnostic intellectual yeah. you know we've got a body that needs to be formed by the practices that we're doing and 
So sitting, you know, the prodigal son does it. He's sitting there and there comes a point where the thought comes up. Yeah. I will go home and I will speak to my father. And I will, and this, this is what it is. But if the second, the mud is on you, and that is one of the things I think white supremacy doesn't help any of us mm. with because it's got a narrative of perfectionism. So the second somebody says, oh, you're sexist, or oh, you're being racist at this point, people are in this freak out because their whole thing is around being perfect. And the fact right. of the matter, this, if anything else yeah. that we should have learned, you know, we're, re we're meant to be reading the same Bible. Yeah. You are not perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am not perfect. So, yeah. but we are loved. Yeah. And, and so when people are operating out of this thing that, perfectionism 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 yeah right we 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 can't actually you're 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 limiting your ability to learn i think Brene brown would say you're operating out of shame yes right you you absolutely can't grow or go any further in this and i just think yeah i mean why are we here <laughs> what's the point what yeah and you hear like uh, oh that sounded a bit sexist to me you hear that as if that's an attack on your whole identity and then you have to defend against it or fight it fight or flight right mm. rather than a moment for like learning and repentance or not information gathering or something we, we feel it like a, some sort of existential attack yeah that's when we fall into what they're describing as fragility that you're you're being yes. rather than being yes. vulnerable and saying you know what lord i can get things wrong wow it's an opportunity to come back again and be mm. like lord you know, but it's, it sounds like some people want to be out there in the world and be like, I'm for Jesus and it's okay. And I'm, I, you know, I'm forgiven and all the rest yeah. of it. This yeah. is the whole reason we have a, a, a Eucharist that you're coming back to because God is washing your feet. You, you get dirty all the time. Right. You mess up all the time. And I, I'm just like, there's, there's a lot of stuff that is meant to connect here that seems not to. And I, I honestly feel that there are aspects of how, white culture has educated all of us mm -hmm. that we're not able and we're so in this kind of white supremacist like pecking order yeah. that we're not you know you've got you, you you've got groups of people of color who are fighting to get up that pecking order. they want to be as we call it i'll try and find a nice way of saying it but the head black person in charge right. in that space and and actually this none it still doesn't look like heaven to me no it, like they said, this report that you're referring to, what yeah. was the name? What's the name of this report? I'm, I'm trying not to roll my eyes while we talk about this. <laughs> Sewell, I'll try not to come up with an alternative word. Exactly. But... <laughs> which, which, like you said, it just, it's just sort of about like saying, well, look at this ethnic minority group. They did really well. How come this ethnic minority group can't be like them? And it's mm. just, it's a real divide and conquer sort of patronizing approach, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And, and so there's this idea that there's this sort of, um, a hierarchy of of cultures or something and rather than and it's and it's so anti-god anti-christ yes. because yes yes who are you to judge yourself exactly yeah i'm sure that's in corinthian somewhere i'll find yeah. it later but it's yeah. just like you're not fit to judge yourself i'm not fit to judge myself go if you know we were chosen before the foundation of the earth and some of us don't we don't have a clue why it is that we're here we don't know why we've got the privilege that we've ended up with yeah. but there is this space where you know you've been given it for some reason try and find out what that calling is and do that and it's, yes. it's rather than trying to perform so that everybody knows that you're 
not sexist. The fact is you are because you're growing up in a patriarchal society yeah. that is yeah. deeply misogynistic. Yeah. No way you can't. And I say that as a black woman who has, has to work with young people who've experienced that kind of trauma, has seen right. that. Yeah. And knowing that I'm I'm coming with my dirty hands as well. So if I'm yeah. coming with my dirty hands and you know my experiences of trauma and all the rest of that, how how why is it that people think that they're not going to have that when they, they are benefiting from it? The entire yeah. world that's been placed around them says that the this this you know didn't even let them know that this was an issue until the week after George Floyd knew you know had yeah. transcended and it's 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 just silly that we could that we could be in that situation and that sometimes our church leaders aren't challenging us out of that situation because it's quite a dangerous place pastorally where you mm -hmm. think i mean you know the whole point is that there are other religions where you climb up a ladder to get to heaven the whole point of christianity mm -hmm. is that mm -hmm. christ came down to us mm -hmm. so if you're saying that you've created another ladder i mean i'm like at what point is this not christianity i mean I feel like the the, the, the emperor, the, you know the story of the emperor's new clothes. Yeah, and I'm right, like, right. This is naked. Can you not yeah. see? Me? <laughs> I feel like it's naked and we can't see. <laughs> I have to say, I've got a, a cheeky question. I also, you, are you sure? You sure you want me to answer this question? Go on. Well, because I um I went to a conference and we were talking about you know that story the Kenyanites like um. I don't say it properly, the Canaanite woman who ends up with this conversation about dogs. Oh, do you know, Natasha, I wanted to talk with you about this because I saw you talk about it in, in your Instagram. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I actually disagree with, with what you were taught there. I know. Well, because yeah. I'm, I'm... I actually I, disagree with that. I know, and I wanted to ask you... Um, well, I suppose I can give a... Maybe I can give a kind of brief synopsis of it but they, it was it was a, somebody a, a white theologian was drawing on some south american and i i really wanted to come to you and ask you about mm. it but a white theologian um female theologian talking about and her starting point i haven't been very fair in that very hard in these instagram moments to to but in terms of she started from the point that the need to decenter from whiteness as we're reading and I know there's somebody who's written a book called you know reading while black there's a whole need for all of us to read I know you've got it I've got it somewhere actually I've got it there he is That's a <laughs> <laughs> okay Esau Macaulay reading yeah. while black and it's but there's there's what happens in a culture where we've learned to for the last half millennia that you know, about whiteness in that kind of way is that we don't realize that we're always reading while white even myself yes. as a black person yeah, for sure for sure and i've been educated that way and yeah. and so the whole point of it was just thinking about the fact that she's saying as she approaches that story she's often approached it and seen this woman as a white woman or seen jesus as the white person in the situation but as she's come to be challenged that possibly the only white person in the story is Pontius Pilate mm -hmm. <laughs> and his wife, that she's seeing and thinking about Jesus as a brown man, or as somebody put it, a brown man with black politics, <laughs> at least. Mm -hmm. um, she realizes that actually 
when she sees him as a man living in an occupied state who's mur- eventually is murdered by um, state violence, not seeing Jesus as Caesar, she's got to acknowledge that she's reading as a white woman who can arrange to protect, protect her children. Yeah. In most circumstances from the world. And it was from that opening reflection that she's talking about that kind of unconsciously whiteness centering reading of this book. And she, she, what she brought, and it was, she was very uncomfortable with it. I just thought it was interesting what it opened up was that there are three points that you end up with, or there's three ways that people try to deal with the difficulty and the challenge of that piece. Whereas Mm -hmm. first one, brush it away. Jesus was kind of breaking Jewish exclusivism. So ignore the dog statement um, and try on type stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. And then the second one was a kind of bucket up response by suggesting that the woman gives as good as she gets to Jesus and so there's no harm done Mm -hmm. and then the third one was a kind of bow down as Jesus is the white kind of righteous power of a savior so by ignoring the racism take up your role in educating your divine abuser and I was like now I'm thinking I love that story myself. It's in my own discipleship. I can remember someone like Sean Doherty doing a growing leaders training. Med- we're talking 15 years ago, and sitting under the table in my church and thinking at a post- we were asked to posture ourselves into this story, yeah. and sitting under that table and the challenges that's bringing to me as a person of color with the language that's around that. I have to face that, and and it's mm-hmm. like. People are wanting to preach this story and you're not listening, thinking about who is hearing the story and how the, the, hmm. the glib ways that we can find an answer to mm-hmm. making, squaring the issue. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not, I'm not at a final point with it, but I was interested in that. And then hmm. they, I had a, um, a little bonus point because there's also the kind of, because even with the exclusive one, it does a kind of binary well, you know, the Jews, they were very exclusive. And it kind of, it could almost be raising up that anti-Semitic kind of binary something. And I'm just like, you've got to be careful with how you're preaching these bits because it's not an easy text. And you, you walk down any one of these roads, you're basically setting up over a binary, slightly anti-Semitic narrative around the Jewish community. The second one, you know, that the idea that the recipient of the abuse, whether they're disabled, you know, a woman, global majority, LGBT, whatever it is, just needs to kind of be more robust, buck up and take a joke and stick with the banter of it and the bluffs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whilst desperately pleading for her child's life. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm really uncomfortable with that. So I suppose where I'm at yeah, is yeah, that yeah. The third one was that you just bow down to your oppressor and, and he and he will be moved by your humility, which is sometimes what people say that when women marry people who are not Christian, Christians, but they right. that, that, that you know, let your humility win over your husband type narrative. Right. And I'm just like, does anybody like think about these scenarios? They're a bit problematic too. So I'm like, I'm not saying that where I'm ending up is the right one. I just thought it was. My, I more had a brain blow moment when yeah. when it was there. 
But for me, all of the conclusions are quite abusive on some level. And perhaps the only reason, I mean, the lady she was, uh, who was talking about it was really uncomfortable. I think her surname's Star. And was at least courageous enough to kind of follow the argument to where it's going. And I think my thing is that I'm prepared to follow it to its logical conclusion. And I don't want to be caught in that because I trust God and he's going to drag me out if I, if I, if I, err. Uh, that's fine. I can do that. But in terms because of the what argument we were getting they, to yeah. was that it was, it, 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 could we accept that Jesus could be sexist and, right. and possibly even racist in that situation and what and how does it help you and well, this I, is what yeah this is what the so this would be like a typical progressive reading of matthew of mark 7. what do you mean by progressive because you know so, these words are dangerous uh the kind of um well it would be like a self-described progressive liberal approach to the scriptures so people okay. who, who who self-profess like i'm going to take a progressive approach which is to read this text, Mark 7, as this is Jesus who is racist and sexist, learning not to be racist and sexist in that moment. So that's a, I've heard okay. that. That's a definite, like, uh, typical approach to that. Mm -hmm. And so then it's talked about as, like, look, this is, this is, um, we get to follow in that, like, even, Bang. even Jesus was racist and this kind of, the, the, I do have an issue with that, though, because if it makes a nonsense of the actual, it, it actually makes a nonsense of what's been happening so far in the book of Mark. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. it is about racism, that story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it, it isn't about Jesus learning not to be racist. He has already been very upfront about not being racist well before we get to Mark 7. Like he's, yeah. he's definitely proven himself in that way. And he, it, but it is a for, there is a kind of a, a certain Jewish form of, racism that's happening here and this is where neither of us are jewish so it's always difficult for us to mm. talk about it but that being said there definitely is a, a an ethnic jewish faction that he was part that he was involved with which called non-jewish people dogs so here comes a non-jewish person with a demon-possessed daughter a non-jewish lady with a demon-possessed daughter so she's about as low uh, on the purity scale as it's possible to get in the eyes of some people watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So she's not even really considered a human. Mm -hmm. According to the real, like, strong ethnic purity laws of some Jewish people in, in Jesus' time. Yeah. And so then when he, when, he, when he says that phrase to her about throw bread to the dogs, he's using a phrase that was well known to everyone. Mm. Okay? So he's, he's, he's adopting a phrase that everybody that rabbis just call Jewish people all the time or Gentiles all the time. So what he does is he puts himself in the role of the rabbi, the racist rabbi, and they're expecting the certain narrative to play out. Mm. But what does she do in Mark seven? She fight, she does answer back. Right. Mm -hmm. So she doesn't accept that role. Mm -hmm. And then he says, uh, for such a clever answer, she says, yeah, but even dogs get to eat the bread from the tables and mm -hmm. then he says for such a clever answer your daughter is healed right mm -hmm. that's the only time in all the gospels that he ever commends anybody for their intelligence yeah and he's done it now basically he's lost he's let himself be publicly beaten in an argument by a less than human gentile woman with a demon possessed daughter okay and it's like him showing and it's public it's that story is more about him and how he holds power than it is about her 
because he's he he wants people who are watching him to notice that he's just been taken on public shame mm -hmm. by affirming this woman that nobody else thought was even a human. So and I letting suppose, her beat him in an argument. That that would be and, and I love I do love that, and I remember you guys talking about that's where that. I'd go with that. Yeah, but my my thing was that. I mean, by this point in Mark, we've already had Legion, the Legion scenario, yes. the man that isn't. So Jesus has already gone to Gentile places yeah. where he's healed people. Yeah. And that's not how he's dealt with them in that particular and with the pigs and all the rest of it. And then the, and in terms of, so I suppose I was coming back at it from the point is because it's I can never say it. Can you say it for me? She's a Syro Phoenician. Yeah. Syro Phoenician. And that's a kind of Greek linked for her as well. Mm -hmm. So it's a particular group of people. And I was just wondering, I, I suppose I, I know a little bit about those kind of intersectionalities that happen amongst okay. different yeah. uh, oppressed groups. So you can the guy who's troubled with Legion. Yeah. He, the idea is he's supposed to be in an oppressed community that has been perhaps forced to hold the pigs for, you know, the kind of Roman overseeing yeah. power in that sense. Yeah. So there's an affinity in the sense that Jesus yeah. comes from the oppressed community. He comes from the oppressed community. There's, there's something there. I was almost seeing mm. it or imagining it. Do you know that dialogue that Malcolm X has with a white young white woman who wants to come and help? No. Um, in there's a there's a dialogue that happens. Let me try and tell you quick. But he and she apparently she's supposed to come up to him and said, "Mr. X, how can I help? I want to do this." And she he turns around and says, "There's nothing you could do." Mm -hmm. And that is one of those kind of problematic points that actually, what can we do when we're you are in a position of privilege and power to yeah. deal with a situation? And I I suppose what I was seeing was that I'm wondering if it's that kind of scenario in the sense that he is an oppressed person and he can have solidarity with other oppressed people, but she is coming from a group that would be seen higher than him by the Roman community in that sense. And so that kind of challenge aspect, that's where I was coming from. Well, she would have been oppressed by the Romans. As she well. would, everybody yeah. is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I was just thinking, She's how not do a Roman elite. She's not a Roman elite, mm -mm. but in the same way as that whiteness creates a kind of right, hierarchy right. of order, she could be seen as higher up the pecking order in that sense. And even and so that you hear those kind of dynamics go on as a kind people call it, oh, that's reverse racism. You don't understand the term racism when you see, because it's about power. Mm -hmm. So if she's seen in a position of power, I love the idea that she's got the humility at that point right come right, down right. and say that even the dogs right okay i see uh and that's where i was coming at it from but it's, oh i it's, see okay yeah so you know when i'm like what could be there and i suppose the other way i when when you come to these kind of problems to think them through some of them are traumatic and your your prefrontal just flips out the bare idea that jesus might be racist or sexist and, and my head honestly blew i was like i need a drink <laughs> what are you talking about but what was what it brought me to was how i, I, what I when i get to those problems i think what is the benefit is the leadership swap what is the advantage what is what the risks what the threats here what's the what's the strength of saying this and it gave me the space to think about the fact that actually Jesus is so human, he's able to be part of a community, 
and that community that he's got that particular has racism and all of us are in communities that have prejudices we have different levels of power around it but we have those prejudices you know our Mm. cultures can cause us to stumble but what i love about yeah, that, but that I just I, let me finish it. I know right, you finish. finish. Yeah, you finish. You rip it to pieces afterwards. No, I, I and I'm happy to, to have that. No, I'm fine. Go on, finish. Don't worry, I'm robust enough. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of what I like about that, that could be helpful in this generation where we're having so much struggle around this binary about being, you know, clean or unclean around racism, sexism, and all of these right, things. Right, right, right. You can be taught patriarchy. You can be taught racism. But when you wake up to it, you have this one inch space of your individual position that you can choose to respond differently. And what I liked about it was that here you have Jesus proving that he was fully a Jewish man Mm -hmm. growing up in a society with all the oppressions and the drama that's Mm -hmm. going on there. But when he speaks out this statement, when we see that humility this not powerlessness, but meekness that mm-hmm, comes from mm-hmm. this lady that you could have, hmm. that he, he sees that, you know, that God doing that divine thing, because it's to have that humility, to have mm. that meekness is okay. Holy Spirit thing big time. And then from that, it's his response that is helpful to all of us, that he praises her. He appreciates her. He recognizes that rather than falling into a fragile response, which is about, oh, who are you? And why are you talking to me like this? And trying to pat down and get back control. So I liked it from that point of view because we're stuck at the moment as to how to model to people what the difference between a fragile response and a vulnerable response and a divine response. God loves vulnerability. And that, that ability to step back and see no something's wrong he he lets go immediately of that kind of cultural mentality and takes response and that's for me keeps him sinless yeah in right. that moment because you cannot okay. you cannot be responsible for okay. the racism and sexism that is in your society each man dies for their own sin and our cultures cause us to stumble but it's your choice in this time yeah, as to okay. whether you choose to stay okay participant in that and that's where i was liking it i was like oh okay. just yeah. because i jumped at the other end what's the benefit yeah, but okay. i i'm i need to sit with it probably for another 10 years well so i have to say this this is the best your expression is the best i've ever heard of this, this yeah! yeah 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 i do like that i do like that. I, i'm always concerned when people kind of go straight to well jesus was a racist but when the whole point of the story is about him dismantling his privilege I- and, and I am a recipient of that. I see that. That's why I love this man. I can touch him through history. Yeah. Because I can see that. And his ability to be consistently the same person, he, he acts in different ways, but a consistent identity is what I came to faith on. So I'm not having anybody say that my Jesus is not, is with sin in that yeah. sense. It's about how it is that he helps us separate ourselves. Your family will lead you into sin. Your culture will lead you into sin. All culture and tradition can be an affront to God. Absolutely. And and, and we just got to make the space for ourselves to do that. Well, I think this is where uh, 
it's really helpful to start paying attention to like the whole gospel of Mark as opposed to just one story mm. when we realize that in fact, the kinds of things you're describing is what Jesus is doing when he's building the kingdom of God around him. Mm. He's deliberately taking people out of the groups they were born into and all the privileges that come with that. Amen. So, yeah. So I do think that Mark seven is part of this story that you're talking about. And, but it's, it's begun a lot earlier than Mark seven. This is the thing. Like I often hear people teach this as if it's like the very first time Jesus has ever been encountered with racism. And it's like, no, Not he's this. been doing this since Mark one, one, <laughs> one, one, this. honestly. So this kind of work is like, the dismantling or the reconstruction of a new society that's not based on that kind of hierarchy of of race relations and ethnic purity is part of the whole gospel movement for sure. Mm. Well, Natasha, you're you're you've been so kind to give me all your time. Thank you so much for this. I think I'm going to have to let you go now to your next meeting. But bless you, Natasha. I really love talking table. with you. Thank you, friend. Take care. God bless. Talk soon. Bye. To further support the show, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media and learn more about Tenth Theology at www.tenththeology.com. Thank you for joining us and God bless you.